So with that, I want to turn to God's Word this morning. We are taking just a one-week break before we finish up John, so kind of to push us into a text that I really felt called to uh, preach on as the Lord has taught us so much over the last week and what we're doing as a body as we serve in our community. And so in the coming weeks, we'll finish up the study of John. I'm going to read from 1 Timothy 1 through 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy 1. It's a short letter kind of near the end of the New Testament. I'm going to read. Um, Paul is writing here. I'll give you a little background on that in a little bit to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's imparting some wisdom here. And I just thought this was most appropriate for, for us just reminding ourselves again what the gospel is, what it says. This is what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Through 17, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, I want to pray to this King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, and and just thank him and ask him to speak through his word now. You do that with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do praise you for your goodness and love in our lives. Father, that you have demonstrated that in Christ by sending your son to die your son who lived a perfectly righteous life, a life that needed to be lived that way because no, not one of us are righteous. All of us have fallen short. And Jesus came to be a perfect sacrifice for our sin so that we could find redemption, so that we could have reconciliation in our relationship with you. And I'm thankful and grateful for that. And Father, I pray, pray, pray that the heartbeat, that is the heartbeat of this church, that everything we do would revolve around that gospel truth, that saying that is of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Father, we glory in your name this morning, glory for all the things you have done in our lives, in salvation, and all the things that you are doing in our lives as you use us as tools in your hand. And we pray that you'd speak to us now by your your spirit, and Father, that we would glean truth. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. So whenever we come to our Real Community Week, and this is our seventh year that we've done this as a church, we did six years uh, starting in 2011, and then we took kind of like a sabbatical year, which I think is a good practice to kind of rest from that in a year, and then we started again. This is the seventh year that we've done this, and you'll find out through some slideshows. I know there's, if you're not familiar, there's a lot of questions about what do we do, but we really go out in the community, and people nominate people for work projects. And so the focus is really easy for it to be about work projects. And as we've been reminded and said all week, the crews that we send out are not just to do work projects. 
They are to connect with people and share the love of Christ and hopefully share the gospel. But the question always comes up for me as I assess all of our ministries as I lead here. Like, why do we do this? Are we doing the right thing? Why do we serve in real community? It's not just about the, the kids program that happened here this week and our kids are growing as a lot of the adults are out and we had a great food team that serves. And it's really easy for churches to serve themselves, to serve one another, to look inward, and to never think about the outside world. And so there's a lot of reasons, but I really want to focus in as we look at this text. I want to let the text speak for itself, the purpose, because I think Paul answers the question for us of why we do what we do. And this really doesn't just specific to real community and mission. It's why we do any Christian service. And I think Paul gives us the answer to that to extend the others to others the grace and mercy that has been extended to us. You see, we're thankful often. If you've ever been served, you're thankful when you're served. When you're served, you could sit down at a meal. You're served, you say thank you. When somebody does something nice for you, you say thank you. When you receive a gift from somebody, you say thank you. And, and that's super easy in the church to respond that way. But I believe God wants the church to be different. I believe as most mission trips go, and if you've ever been on a mission trip, this is generally what you say, and if you've ever served in real community, this is generally, if your attitude is right, we'll talk about that, this is generally what you say, you are more blessed and thankful to be able to serve than to receive that thanks yourself. And so often as mission trip, trips go, people that are on the mission trip who are serving others, it is often us who are more thankful. It's like, man, they should be saying like, we should be saying thanks to them for being allowed to serve. How often are we thankful to have the privilege to serve others? And I hear that the most at RC. People go out and, and they say, people are like, oh, thanks for what you did for pulling weeds in my yard, and my yard just been transformed, or for building this deck or this ramp so, so I can get up into my house easier. Thank you, thank you. And most of the time, most of our people that go out say, no, thank you for letting us do that. We know what God has done in our lives. Now, the context of Paul's letter here, which I think is helpful, is he's writing to Timothy, who is kind of an insecure young pastor, and, and Paul is imparting to him through these letters he writes him, one and two, another letter in 2 Timothy, and he's imparting to them him wisdom on how to pastor and how to shepherd a people and how to keep them motivated towards mission, not towards doing church together. And so it's very gospel-saturated, and he wants Timothy to know. And he just starts previously to verse 12. He starts on talking about keep them from false teaching and, and guard against false doctrine. And he's really setting that up because he wants to protect the gospel. He wants to protect the mission, the heartbeat of the church, the gospel. Don't let any other thing encroach that. Don't be about any other thing than that, which leads us up to this text. He wants to teach him about what grace and service really is and where it comes from. And so if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Every good, and in, every good in Christian service will flow from one source, an understanding of the grace and mercy of God. So I want you to just think about that. Anything good that you think you could offer or have offered or will offer. Anything truly good will only flow from a proper understanding of the grace and mercy of Christ. Really an encounter with that. 
to shape that. We're prone to be misunderstanding. We're, we'll talk about that, the motive. Many do service for different reasons. And I would argue many do service in church for different reasons. Some do it out of selfishness. Like, I want, I want people to see me that I'm giving and, and that might, might show people that I'm committed to God in that way. And that's called religion when we're trying to earn that. Some feel obligated. Well, I'm a part of this church family. People will judge me if I don't. So I'll just, I'll do it out of obligation. Some of it's expectation. But I want to have all of us check our attitude. And I confess that I have done, I am doing often in those things. I want to say often, I hope not often, and I probably will do things out of service in that motive. And it's wrong, and I confessed, and even this morning I was just confessing to God again. Like I think at times this week I did things purely out of selfish motive, and I just confessed that. And God is always after our hearts. Do you understand what I've done for you? Because anything that flows truly and in pureness and goodness will come from a proper understanding of what God has done for us. And so I'm with you. If you are like that, I'm completely, I understand because I've done those things. I've done the religion. I've done the look at me. I've done the I want to be noticed. I want to obligate myself to this. But it's all improper motive. And so Paul writes in verse 12, just three words here. I want to stop real quick. He says, I thank him. I thank him. Paul, he's writing here to Timothy to protect the gospel. And where he starts is his own gratitude. He says, I thank him. He has this attitude of gratefulness. And I think as I read this and probably drew me knowing I would be speaking on this to confession was how often I do things out of purely selfish motives. When I focus on my heart and, and my own attitude, I, I see that. But I do things often with like an ungrateful heart. There was times this week where, you know, like especially that, man, where's Adam? Like that trip to Menards, that was killer. It, it was fun after I changed my attitude about it. So Friday night, we had to go and get supplies, and I just had this attitude like, I don't want to go. I'm tired, and I knew we needed stuff, and, and Adam didn't want to go, and we were kind of looking at each other like, man, God better do a miracle in our hearts because Jeremiah, who I dragged along with me, is going to be the victim <laughs> if we don't figure this out. And I have sometimes no gratitude in what God has done in my life. And every, I, I think this is God's grace. And you're, you're going to see this kind of like Paul saying, it's going to overflow in this text. I think when you put yourselves, and this is a kind of a side note of application, often we don't feel like serving. Often we, we, we don't make the space and time for serving. Often, as I mentioned, we do it with selfish motives. But as God is gracious, as he always is, when you put yourself and I would say if you are any of those categories, still block off the space to serve people because you know what God does? He changes your heart and he teaches you in the process just by being there. And so I say if you go into it with the wrong motive, God will deal with you as he's done with me. And often as he does, he changes your perspective. As I serve this week, as I know many of you share in this, when you go out and you serve in certain situations, you realize your perspective shifting. And for me this week, it was an opportunity to serve some people that have like some, some trials and mountains in front of them that I'm not experiencing in those ways. And it changes my perspective. I walk away when my heart is right, and I think to myself, God has been so good to me. I better use every minute and ounce of my life to pour into other people. 
And I think that, that perspective is what God wants to do in our hearts to shift the focus. And we live in a culture that focuses on me, 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 and he wants to change our focus to pouring out grace onto others. And so Paul says, I thank him. What does he thank him for? He thanks Jesus. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing, to me, appointing me to his service. Paul says, I thank God, I thank Jesus Christ for his strength. Most of us know that all of our strength comes from the grace of God. Most of us ought to know that. Sometimes we accomplish things on our own, but when my heart is right and my perspective is right about serving Christ, even at a mission week, I'm filled with the the grace and strength of Christ. And as I looked at some of the situations of people we're serving, I have, like, capability to go and labor. Many of those we serve didn't. I have a church family and friends that will help me if I have need. Many of the people we serve don't. They're caught up in in situations where houses get overgrown and overwhelmed, which is why we go and do that. But like that ought to change my perspective. I often don't need a lot of help. That's at least how I think. I know we helped some people within our body this week, and they, they probably could have gotten help others, but we have a bunch of people that can help you. A lot of people aren't afforded that, and it changed my perspective. And he thanks Jesus for giving him strength. And he, two things he notes... Jesus has judged him faithful and appointed him for service. Two things you need to see here. The faithfulness. Jesus, Paul is saying, Jesus has trusted me that I would be faithful, a steward. Now, the word in, in, in the context this is used is not that I would have faith, although that's part of where faithful, but that I would be loyal, that I'd be trustworthy, that God has given me this and I would be faithful with it. That Jesus has entrusted me that I would want to finish well, that I would want to do Christian service, that I would want to pour myself into others before I would even think about pouring into myself. And Paul is saying that I'm getting that, and he's going for the reason why and where it comes from, but he's saying, Jesus has appointed me as a faithful servant. I want to finish well. I want to stand before Jesus at the end of my days and him say, well done, good and faithful servant. The other thing you need to see is that what he was appointed to, Paul recognized that. It says he was appointed to his service. He wasn't appointed to the service of Real Hope Community Church. He wasn't appointed to whatever Pastor Craig says. That's what we should do. You should almost never do that unless it's in the Bible. And he says, I was appointed to his service, the service of Jesus. That's who he's ministering for and to and through. And he's saying, that's who's trusted me. That's who wants me. And we would be foolish. We would be a foolish church to think that that kind of appointment, even what we know about Paul, the apostle, right? The minister, the church planner, the missionary. We would be foolish to think that that is limited just to ministers, pastors, church planners, overseas missionaries. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are appointed to his service faithfully. He has plucked you from death so that you could be a servant of the king. That's what he's done. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how churched you are. In some ways, I would argue it'd be better if you weren't as stuck in religion. We'd be foolish to think that applies to only people that have appointments of holy official roles. And then Paul gets at it. He dives at it. And this is what I want you to see about him. 
If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was radically converted. He says, though, in verse 13, formerly his past, I was a blasphemer, persecuted, an insolent opponent. But, and I love these in the Bible, the great buts of the Bible, if you will, the alternatives, if you will, on God's half. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Here's what you need to know. Here's what Paul is saying. He has reason to be grateful because he realizes who he used to be apart from Christ. And here's what you really need to know to understand grace and service. He was a sinner. Most of us don't have Paul's resume. Most of us don't have his persecuting, blaspheming heart. Most of us don't think we do anyway. And so we look at Paul and he's like unique, like because he persecuted the church. He was a violent opponent of the gospel. Most of us don't share in that. We grew up in America. Our parents were kind of good. They took us to church and then we were kind of good and we just don't have that past. And so we really don't relate. But Paul says, no, I think you have to relate because the gospel says you have to relate. I think you have to acknowledge that you are a sinful, like against God and your rebellion, guilty of the punishment of sin, guilty of all of that, falling short of the glory of God. You have to acknowledge that. And Paul knew where he came from. You see, most of us in the church, and I would argue me too, the way I grew up, most of us kind of like do a comparison thing towards others. And Paul is kind of drawing this to the surface. Most of us do a comparison when we think of our good service and works. We think when we do good or do it out of any like motive of gratitude, like, well, we're doing something maybe better than another. And we like to compare. But, but friends, when we do anything out of any other motive than an understanding of the grace of God, we're simply clinging to self-righteousness. And Paul is drawing that out in this text in us. Here's what Jesus said about this. I'm going to flip over to chapter 16 or 18 in, in Luke, the gospel of Luke. Jesus kind of told this parable for this reason. He was telling this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He said he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee, st- standing by himself, prayed thus, God... I thank you. You see that? Similar to what Paul is saying. That I am, but then he changes. That I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, speaking these words, said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's a Pharisee in this picture who says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And so Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I know exactly who I was. And I know exactly how we'll be tempted to be, self-righteous and compare ourselves to others. I'm better than everybody, but the gospel demands you start with yourself. You know, as Jesus tells us, the thing about true grace realizes you can't compare yourself to anybody. It's all on you. You're going to be judged according to God's standards. And when we talk about life 
after the eternal life, when we talk about life after death, or when we talk about heaven or eternity, or, or the judge standing before God, and people use that term often when we stand before God, it really is a truth, and you will, really will only be accounting for you. And it's all on you. You can't, you can't, when you stand before God, say, well, God, I did more than other people. I like blocked off some of my time to do, and he'll say, what about you? And you don't get to compare anyone else. He says, you're going to be judged according to my standards, which is a holy life, which, which the gospel says all people have fallen short, which is why we need Jesus. What have you done with Jesus? Have you trusted my son for forgiveness of sins? Have you trusted him for your righteousness? That's why you don't get to compare, and Paul is drawing this to the surface. And he says, when you get it, look at verse 14. Here's when you get it. And Paul's going to say something very important, verse 15. He says, when you get it, the grace of our Lord as he has gotten it overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's understanding moment of when he understood what Christ had done for him, Christ overflowed grace and mercy on him in faith and love. That any, any faith that he had come from God's mercy and grace. Any love that he could pour out to other people came from God's mercy and grace. And it flowed onto him. Which is what I see in this church when I see people serving out of right motive. They're doing it because the grace of Christ has just flowed onto them. They go out and they sweat and they work and they serve and they do things sacrificially and unselfishly because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has flowed onto them and they act out in faith and love. When I'm out serving, this is me talking, and I get this, as I did at moments this past week, I say, man, God has been so good to me. And I had a lot of time to work on projects, some with just one other person. For moments, I had, I'm a high introvert, so I had just great joy. I'm a high, nobody caught that, I guess. Um, <laughs> working by myself, and as I was just, and that was a gift for me this week. I was just reflecting on how good God has been in my life, and like how thankful I am for all that he's given me, and Paul is getting that and has gotten that, and so he imparts in verse 15 this hugely wise saying, the first of five trustworthy of full acceptance sayings he's going to tell Timothy. Here's the first one he tells him in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. Stop there. Full acceptance. The gospel demands that you fully accept this thing that he's about to say. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul is imparting to Timothy, the gospel demands that you understand who Jesus came to save. He did not come to save self-righteous people who did not need a savior. He did not come to save religious people who were the Pharisees of the day, who are, and I always say the Pharisees of the day. There are plenty of Pharisees today, people that want to do things out of their own righteousness, out of their own strength, out of their own obligation, expectation, look at me, out of their own glory, out of their own selfish motive. And, and Paul is saying, Jesus came to save sinners. And then he attached himself with the chief foremost of those sinners of whom I am the worst, in other translations, the foremost, ignorant and unbelieving, saved, messed up wretches is what Paul is after here. That they are 
good enough on their own, Paul's saying, no, that, that used to be me. I am completely messed up in need of a Savior. He said, ignorant and unbelieving, totally faithless. And Paul believed he was the worst of the worst. Notice he didn't compare himself to anybody else. He didn't say, I'm the second worst because I know that guy that lives on the street. And we laugh, but we do it all the time because we're in a church and we go on Sundays and we're doing something good. But there's the rest of the world, the wicked, who, who just don't even show up on Sundays. And Paul just lands himself square and he says, I'm the only one. If I was the only one ever created, it would still be on me. I have no one else to compare myself to except for Jesus Christ, whom we fall short of. He says, I'm the worst of the worst. Verse 16, though, the second great time he uses this word, but, but I received mercy. Understanding where he came from, I receive mercy, and then he gives us for the reason, for this reason. For all of us that wonder, for all of you that have wondered, like looking at the past, you're looking at your past, your life, how it came to be, like why of all the people God could have picked, why me in this way? Why, how, with all the circumstances of where I grew up and who my family was and what my past looked like, how do I land here today? With all those wonders in mind, why lavish grace and mercy on me, God? Paul gives the reason. He says that in me, as the foremost, the worst of the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That God in his wisdom and his grace chose me, lavished grace on me, put me in the right place at the right time, in the right church, whatever it was that drew me to salvation, and he put me there so that he could use me as an example, that Christ could put me on display as an example of not my perfect patience, not my growth and sanctification, but of Jesus's that Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So there's this attitude of, he puts me on display, not for me, but to show himself to others. That's why he lavished grace and mercy on me. And if you miss that part about perfect patience, most of us know, man, you're going to need a lot of it, God. And Paul recognized that. He says, here's, gonna get, here's who's going to get all the glory because people knew who Paul was. They knew what he did. Here's who's going to receive all the glory. When they see me, they're going to be looking at Jesus because there's no other way I could have changed my own life this way. And it would be because of Jesus's perfect patience because Paul knew I'm probably going to trip over myself doing this. It was why he wrote in other letters and other places in the scriptures, I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. He had this eternal battle, if you will, on earth of a struggle, of failing and tripping over himself, but he was always overwhelmed by the grace of Christ because Jesus was displaying in him his perfect patience to show the world those who would come to faith. Steve stood up here and prayed that earlier, that our acts of service, the only desire that we ought to have in this church is that our acts of service in real community would lead others to one day trust in Christ as their Savior, to be added to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul, getting that, knows that our redeemed lives are examples of God's overwhelming grace. I've said this and I'll say it again. We are simply windows to Jesus when we go out and serve. That is how we ought 
to be. In other words, we go out and it's, it's this attitude, if Jesus can save us, he can save anyone. And he can also sanctify in his perfect patience. And because he has saved us, because he is sanctifying us and showing us grace and mercy, he appoints us in his service to go and show the same to others. He chooses us, born out of grace and mercy, to demonstrate his love to others. And I want to be found faithful in this. And at least as far as I can tell from this text, Paul is saying you're accepted. And because of Jesus Christ, you're accepted in this, in this faithful service. And only in Christ are we acceptable to God in this. Our RC theme this year is the back of the shirts as we were called to worship Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity, being better together the church unites around the gospel and goes out in the world. Paul is writing to the young Timothy in that same way. Unite around the gospel. Unite around the gospel mission. If your church does anything good, Paul is saying to Timothy, if your church does anything right, it will unite itself around the gospel. It won't have the best kids programs. It won't have the best food or relationships or community. It will unite itself, which all these things are a part of that, around the gospel that says we are desperate sinners in need of grace. And God puts all these people together who have received God's mercy and says, go and do this together. Demonstrate Jesus Christ and his perfect patience to those who have yet to believe. Go out and minister to the world, united around the gospel. It is no wonder that you come along to verse 17 and Paul finds himself just praising God. All of his understanding of grace and mercy, which is what I believe this Sunday always ought to be following our Real Community Mission Week. It's just a way to celebrate all that God has done. It's no wonder Paul turns then to doxology of praise in verse 17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Often, and I had to check my heart in this when churches do things like we do. We want to look in at ourselves. When you go out, if you haven't been a part of it this week, and you do service towards others, you want the credit. And Paul, understanding the grace and mercy of Christ, says there's no way I could ever receive credit for all the good things God has done. Only him, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That only glory, all glory would be to God. That all glory would be to Christ. And Paul is saying here that recognizing that, recognizing that only God could have done this, that out of his grace and mercy, that's the only way that you ever really truly get gratitude. Many of us think we're grateful people. And he's saying the only way that you could ever be really grateful and thankful is if you understood grace and mercy. And that out of that gratitude then, when, when you understand grace and mercy, you become thankful as we've seen Paul develop. And out of that gratitude then flows service in that order and a desire for our lives to be used as a tool. Show me a truly grateful person and I'll show you the most humble servant in the church. Really. Really. People say this all the time, and, and we experience it here at some level. I think maybe better than most, but in most churches, there's a population, a smaller population of people that, that pour their lives into Christian service than those we see on Sunday morning. 
And I'll say it again. Show me a grateful person, a truly grateful person that knows the grace and mercy of Christ, and I'll show you the most humble servant in the church, somebody that gets grace and mercy. And those are people that pour their lives into the service of the king because they are understanding of what God has done. And it might be a check for you if you say, I don't know if I'm like as commit, like I'm just inviting you to understand God's grace and mercy. Because every good in Christian service will flow from one source, an understanding of that, the grace and mercy of God. I saw much of that this week. And I, I will never know, as most knew or didn't know in me, I will never know the motive of all the yellow shirts in this room. I'll never know. And, and like you might not ever know my motive for why I did it this week. I'll never know why you served But I hope that mine and I hope that yours only ever comes from an understanding of what God has done for me in Christ. And so maybe you're here and you've never understood that. All your years in church, all your years exposed to the Bible, people living out the life of Jesus, and you've never truly yourself understood the grace and mercy, never encountered it. Maybe life has been about you mostly up until now. I hope you know what Jesus has done for you. I hope you know that he lived a perfect life for you, showed you grace, took on sin and death, the punishment that was deserved for us so that you could have new life. I hope you know that nothing you do could ever impress God or amount to any kind of earned salvation. Nothing you do could ever earn God's favor except for that which Jesus has done for us and trusting in that. You see, we're by nature self-serving creatures, and until we turn, like Paul, and repent from that kind of selfish, ungrateful attitude, that kind of comparison that Luke, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talked about, the Pharisee that says, I thank God I am not like others, until we turn from that, and only when we turn from that, there is, until we do, no hope for us. When we do, there is great hope for us. Every Good in Christian service will flow from one source, an understanding of the grace and mercy of God. And I hope you get, you get that. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And I want to give those of us that have responded to that just an opportunity to praise together. In a moment, you'll see some of what went on this week. We'll show a little slideshow. And I hope as you watch it, you don't think, oh, that was my project. Look what I did. Or look at that. We we did this together. I hope you just say this in your head. God has been so good to me in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. Like Paul has showed us where our thanks should come from, a deep understanding of what Jesus Christ has done. That he came to this earth, yes, as a a great teacher and prophet, Father, but he came for so much more. He came with purpose to save sinners. That is the saying, Paul says here, that should receive full acceptance. And so, Father, I just am asking, inviting people to know that today. Have they accepted that saying that Jesus Christ came to save sinners? People that cling to self-righteousness, people that have no hope for this life on their own. Father, I pray that that many in this room who have never responded to the gospel, never 
never repented of their own self-righteousness, would turn towards you in this moment, seeking forgiveness of sins and trusting by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. Trusting that that is the only way that we could ever stand before you, accountable for all of our actions. Jesus is the only way, the only one that could save us. The only measurement that could say, I'll speak for them, I'll atone for their sin. I'll be their righteousness.